Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. What an interesting topic. At 8.15, you don't want to miss my guests, Terry Glass and David Rosen. They fabricate and customize tools for farmers up in Bakersfield. And I thought all week, where do we see the unique needs of a farmer? And those same unique needs in our lives. For me in surgery... I love inventing. I have six patents this week in the operating room. I got to see my tools in action used all over the world. What a cool feeling that is to invent something that people you'll never meet benefit from. It's kind of like the radio show, helping people, you listening. I'll never meet you, but you benefit from all the beautiful advice. That's what makes life special, at least for me. So I thought all week, the unique life of a farmer, good and bad. The challenge is you need steady income, but you don't make any money while the crop is growing. You're spending money. You only make money for the harvest. And if the bank isn't patient with you, just sit tight. Wait till the harvest. I'll be able to pay my loans. I'll be able to pay. No, nope, we want the money now. And if you don't pay us now, we're going to take your farm away. And that's what happened in 1985. And who noticed that? Willie Nelson. Musicians know as well as anybody else what's going on out in the heartland. Because we go up and down the highway all the time and we talk to people. I saw farmers around me going out of business because they couldn't pay their bills. And I didn't realize it was getting worse until I was talking to some of my farmer and rancher buddies in Texas. And they said, it's really worse up in the Midwest. I called some friends of mine and 21 days later, we had our first farm aid. That's exactly right. Who helped him do that? How did it get started? The farm crisis of the 1980s was a cruel and bitter season of loss. Sometimes we feel like we've been used. Farm after family farm faced foreclosure. An American way of life was dying. The governor of the nation's farm credit system warned today that it could collapse within two years, dragging the rest of the economy with it, unless the government provides cash for a bailout. 1985. Willie Nelson was appearing at the Illinois State Fair. He had a regular visitor there. Yeah, the governor of Illinois. He'd come out and we'd sit on the bus and talk and drink a beer or something and talk about things. He was the governor, Jim Thompson. And he was telling me how bad it was getting for the farmer, for the small family farmer. After he told me what he did and we realized how important it was, 21 days later, we had our first farm aid. That first farm aid made national news. Willie Nelson isn't waiting for Washington. He's busy organizing a benefit concert to raise money for farmers. 
But what was the custom tool that he ultimately would make for the farmer so that they could keep their farm? A legal team. Farmers now had a lawyer at their disposal to help them fight the banks. It isn't just raising money to give a farmer money. It's to create an infrastructure so that the farmer could fight to keep their land. Fascinating. We struggled because we were in a vacuum. And the critical role that Farm Aid played was to help us. When they came on the scene, it connected us for the first time with other farm organizations. Farm Aid was able to fund these advocates and connect them not only to each other, which was very important, but also to an outside world. I think uh, a lot of things we can do it's nothing more than be a listening post and see where the problems are and see what we can do to help. You got to start it somewhere. The custom tool he fabricated was a legal team called FLAG, Farmers Legal Assistance Group. In the countryside in the 1980s, there were no legal resources available for folks, even though they had legal rights. Seeing that farmers who are feeding the nation are in need of food stamps really struck home to me. It was so blatant what was going on. It was a situation where knowledge and legal tools were so powerful. What an advocate would have ideally is a lawyer in the background where you can get answers to technical, difficult questions. What FLAG does, the government should be doing. It should be like the public defender's office. Farmers should have that same kind of ability to be represented, and that's what FLAG is. They have served as a hugely crucial nerve system to all the advocates in the country. Customizing for the unique life of a farmer. You see it in that art world, music world, and what Willie Nelson did with Farm Aid in 1985, and it's still going on. What about in sports? I thought all week, where is fabricating tools for a farmer at all in my world of sports, your world of sports. It's in the story of the NFL football team called the Jacksonville Jaguars because the owner made his billions in customizing farmers' pickup trucks way back in 1970. As a teenager, he comes up with the idea of making a new bumper for a pickup truck that a farm is using and other tools on the farm. The story of Shad Khan, one of the greatest American dream stories you'll ever hear. Listen to this journey. You know, I had seen a book when I was 10 with Frank Lloyd Wright. And I had no idea, uh, you know, who he was. And, you know, it really, really fascinated me. And then my dad would, as a job, would call on people selling surveying equipment. Uh, this is in Pakistan, and in those days, most of uh, the consulting engineers were out of Chicago. Shad Khan, a 15-year-old, comes to America to go to school at the University of Illinois. No green card, he's not a citizen, but he comes to learn, to learn how to be first an architect, but ultimately an engineer. 
I came by myself, and really, I think you know one of the interesting things is, which is still true, uh, about uh, you know you come here, you get a degree, and then um, you you can't get a job because uh, you need you need a green card yeah. to get a job. And uh, how do you get a green card? Well, you got to have a job. So uh, it's like. <laughs> 40 years later, or plus, it's still true. Wow. I mean, the first job I had, I, you know, I got here, it was a lot of snow, and I had like 500 there no, bucks. There was no snow in Pakistan? I had never <laughs> seen snow. I didn't know it existed. And boy, what a, oh, uh, what a horror show that was. You know, you, you kinda, <laughs> Jesus, you know, this is, Frank Lloyd Wright, I never saw a picture had any snow <laughs> in it. And uh, uh, so, um, <laughs> I got there. I have 500 bucks, and I, you know, bus drops me off uh, at the Atlanta Union, and you know they're charging like eight bucks a night, and it's like you got to be kidding me! I mean, it's too expensive. Is there something cheaper? And they said, go down to the YMCA. Yeah, two dollars a night at the Y, and then he gets a job as a dishwasher. He's 15 years old. This is 1967, an immigrant from Pakistan. So you know, I trudged over there. They said, yeah. Two bucks a night. So, 67, um, you know, I, and it's so here, you know, you're out three, four bucks by the time you've had a couple of meals. And, and I couldn't believe it. They were hiring dishwashers, you know, which is right on Wright Street. And uh, I walked in, got a job. As a dishwasher. As a dishwasher. It was absolutely perfect. And, you know, for me, it was a huge amount of empowerment, quite sure. frankly. I mean, as I look on it, because I'm going to control my destiny. And what a great country, you know, that you can come here, get a job, and the next day without doing anything, I'm making more than, you know, 99% of the people in Pakistan. And, and so tell, when you're yeah. making more than 99% of the people, your hourly wage yeah, washing dishes. Yeah, it was buck 20. A buck 20. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Listen to his story of Shad Khan of how he is so willing to change course, to pivot. He goes to Chicago, to Illinois, to become an architect, but then he realizes, I better not do that. I better become an engineer, switches gears. You know, engineering hall, uh, where the placement office was, I mean, you walk through it, uh, and they would have the list up, you know, recruiters and what the average salaries were, and uh, architectural engineers were right at the bottom. Uh, so it was, hey, I'm from a third world country, I understand money, uh, and uh, so it's, uh, you know, money gives you choices. It was pretty easy for me. Okay. But, you know, it's a lot of fun, and I can sketch buildings and houses in my spare time, but I think I don't want to make a living in that, so. But who hires him? It's 1970 in rural Illinois. No one's hiring a Pakistani immigrant who just graduated from school. Talk about, it's kismet. He now owns this you know, $500 million yacht, the biggest yacht. It's called kismet because he feels of all the jobs, and he was only offered one. Nobody would hire him. But of all the places, it was a farmer, a farmer who was into fabricating custom tools for farmers, a blacksmith. You know, I finished, and it's kind of strange. Uh, you know, I was done. <laughs> before, a month before my 20th birthday. And uh, so um, I just started looking for a job and I would go door to door. Um, so in of all the places, uh, you know, I found a job at a blacksmith shop. Owned by a farmer. And what is he doing? 
He's welding, grinding, polishing bumpers, truck bumpers for farmers. It was kind of a brutal work environment because farmers would come in and I think if you want, you know, and they would, you know, they'd want equipment made. So you would measure it and uh, pickup trucks were a work vehicle in those Mm. days. I mean, they were not recreational vehicles. So you would measure them and you'd fabricate parts. Mm. And it was, you would have, you know, cut up a bunch of parts, weld them, grind them, and uh, uh, make them one at a time. <laughs> so it was really, really hard work. So the idea, and you know, and this is, we're talking about Chicago Ideas Week, there had been ideas about why not make it out of one piece. And uh, it would make things so much easier, but nobody would have been able to do it. And he said to himself, hey, I'm an engineer. I went to school. I'm going to the library. I'm going to figure out how to make a better mousetrap, how to make a better bumper for trucks. You know, I just started going to the library at night. I mean, it was for me to really kind of make it easier for me if we could do it out of one piece. And, you know, came up with a technology that would uh, just, it would be a seamless part uh, and uh, would be a lot easier to make. And with that, obviously, came a lot of benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, most importantly for the owner of the company, we could charge more, and our costs were really less. Okay. And uh, so we did that, and you know, after two years, the, he was a farmer, and he said, you know, I can't believe it. I've made more money you know, in the last year than all my life put together. Uh, this thing isn't gonna last, so uh, you know, can you help me sell the company? How fortunate of all the jobs to get to work for a farmer fabricating sheet metal. You could make parts even lighter, uh, cheaper, uh, and um, it would really help with fuel economy. So, you know, I just kind of got a loan, SBA loan, and left and just started my own shop. So you started your own shop. Yeah. Got a small business loan, started yeah. your own shop. Yep, yeah. So, so you got some customers. Yep. Um, it was this concept, you know, GM was very interested in it. So uh, they were my first customer. And he starts his own company from nothing. And now he's a GM. If you can come up with a concept that would make it uh, even lighter, um, he'd be able to save his job. So I had an idea for him, which they couldn't do inside GM. And he said, you know, if you can do it, I can get you a purchase order. And in those days, you know, SBA required a purchase order to be able to get borrow money. Here's the problem. You're so good. You're too small. We're going to fire you. For me, it was, you know, you come up with something which they never thought you could do. Uh, Now they see how the process works. And uh, so one thing I'm proud of, the first month I started, we were profitable, you know, so... Uh, which was great because our whole source of growth was banks and you had to make money to be able to borrow money. But uh, within the first year, you know, GM called me and said, look, uh, we got good news that we never thought these ideas would work. The bad news is we're going to go across the board on our vehicles and we have no place for you because you're too small. So you're out. Have a good day. Now what do you do? You pivot. You learn how to switch gears. You're Shad Khan. No one's going to get in your way. What you learn fabricating for the farmers that pick up trucks in America, why not go to Japan? So 
here you've started a business, you've been successful, and basically you don't have a customer. So again, um, you know, I said, okay, what, <laughs> the only thing I can do now is go where customers you know, can value some of the ideas and are not driven by this mindset. And really, I took some graduate students from Japan at the UFI. I said, you know, you're getting a free trip back to Japan. You've got to translate for me. And I cold called on Isuzu, Mitsubishi, all the people, and, uh, you know, got their business. Listen to what he says here, finally. That on every truck coming out of Japan had his bumper. And of course, they were, their mindset was, oh, okay, um, you know, you can make money because our costs were such where we could add a huge amount of value for them. And for them, number of years, um, every truck that came from Japan, we had the bumpers on. Every truck had his bumper. Fabricating with farmers led to this success. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a man who knows what that world is all about. The great Terry Glass and David Rosen calling in from Bakersfield. This is going to be fascinating. I can't wait. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook Know Your Knee Post. One of the most complicated areas of the body. ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow! Your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better with the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Where do you live, Dave? I live in Sherman Oaks. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I need you to schlep. That's a medical term. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Old man, look at my life I'm a lot like you were Old man, look at my life I'm a lot like you were Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Neil Young, who played at Farm Aid in 1985. That song, Old Man, is about a caretaker on a ranch he bought here in California in 1970. What a beautiful voice. The whole idea of being on a ranch, being on a farm. You need to customize your tools. I'm a surgeon. You need to customize your tools. It's different. 
It's different for us. So that's why I cannot wait to talk to my next guest, the great Terry Glass. Terry, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Good morning, Dr. Clapper. Have you enjoyed listening to how I'm connecting you to yes, Willie I Nelson? Did. That's, that's fantastic. That guy about the bumpers, I think I've heard that story before. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. But you can give us even more insight into what that is all about, the idea of welding two pieces of metal together, and now it's bumpy from the weld itself. You need to now grind it and polish it. The weight of that new piece, how many pieces it took to combine, all of these different features of it is what you do in metal fabrication, and that's what you do, correct? That's absolutely right, yeah. We bond two pieces of metal together and strengthen them, reinforce them, make something different, whether we're repairing or making a new product. Sometimes there's machine work involved. and Wow. So we I want to ask you this. Yes. I want my listeners, and there's a lot of them out there, to know who you are, where you come from. Listen, I know David Rosen for years, and mm -hmm. I'm a, a really loyal friend and customer to David Rosen because he was in the tire business down here in the San Fernando Valley, and he's the only one that I would trust and now that he's moved to Bakersfield and he works with you, I may start buy farm equipment just because I'm going to keep following him, even though I don't know what I'll do with it in Encino. Maybe Tapia Brothers uh, could use some new equipment. But well, you could you could put it out in front of your house and put a mailbox on it. That always looks good. <laughs> I may try that. But it's a pleasure, and I'm so glad that he hooked us up. But tell me a little bit about your life. Where did you grow up? What did your dad do for a living? And how did farm equipment and, and fabricating come into your life? Well, I uh, was born in Los Angeles, but then we moved up into the San Joaquin uh, area or valley when I was quite young, and I just stayed in Bakersfield, and hmm. I've been here pretty much all my life. Hmm. Um, my father was an accountant, but I got involved in um, farm equipment because I enjoyed fixing things. I'm a hmm. person that likes to repair and you look at something and say, oh, I can make that a little bit better, wow. or I can make this work a little bit better, and I can see how it operates. So I've, mm. always, I've always had a talent for that. Mm. Is, there, uh, is there a moment where, like the first thing you fabricated, do you remember that, or, and, and how did it make you feel, even as a kid? Oh, my gosh. I Well, I don't know about fabricating, but I sure took all my toys apart when I was young and tried to put them back together. That's, you know, I wanted to see how they ticked and see what was inside them. So, you know, that's I took what I've a, always enjoyed. I knew I was going to go to college uh, when I was in high school. I went to Far Rockaway High School, you know, not a great New York City high school, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. And, but I figured, all right, I have to be practical. I'm going to have to type, you know, term papers and do stuff when I go to college, and I need to learn how to type. So I took a typing class. Remember the old Smith Corona oh, typewriters? Yeah. So I take, uh, I'm at this, you know, not such a great uh, New York City high school, and I take the typing class. What I didn't realize is I can type 80 words a minute. I just can hand-eye coordination, whatever, and I can right. type really, really fast. So the teacher in the high school, she would put up the assignment, and you'd have literally 45 minutes, an hour, whatever the class was, to type this paragraph. I would sit down, put the paper in, and whoop, I'd be done. Literally, like in three minutes, I'd be done with the whole assignment and the rest of the class. You know, they're like Neanderthals. They discovered fire yesterday. This is who was in the class with me. And uh, then I'd have literally 42 minutes to just sit there. So what did I start to do? I said, okay, well, I, I can't type it again. I already did the assignment. 
I would start taking the typewriter apart. Apart, and then I would tie myself because I had to have it back together for the next student in the next class. It got to the point where I had like 120 of the pieces of the typewriter completely apart, and then I would like get it back together again. And I remember her name was Gustin, Miss Mrs. Gustin. She would go. She'd be furious. She wanted to kill me. And when I graduated high school, you know how you get the yearbook? You go look for the teachers to sign your yearbook? Yeah. I went, I don't know, I was walking, believe me, this was not my favorite teacher. I went up to, I saw her in the hallway. She sees me, Don't Robert, don't you want me to sign your yearbook? I'm going, actually not, but I didn't say that. So I gave her the yearbook. To this day, I have my high school yearbook. Mrs. Gustin wrote this, Dear Robert, who knows if times get really bad, you could always switch to typewriter repairs. Exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> So I'm like you. I would love to know how things work and how to fix them. So tell right. us a little bit about Cal Edison. How did this start? What do they do? Teach us a little bit. Well, um, I got started. We were selling potato harvesters and planters. And what is I unique got- about a potato harvester and planter as opposed to corn or melons or something else? Well, potatoes grow underground. They're a tuber. They're in the ground. It's like a root. So it's mm-hmm. got to be in the ground pulling this product out. And then you've got all that dirt that comes up with the potatoes, and you've got to separate it out. Mm-hmm. When I started, we did a lot of I didn't do it, but we were involved in what they call hand picking, where the harvester, small harvester would go through and put the potatoes on top of the ground, and they'd actually pick them up. Mm-hmm. So you needed a very large crew. So companies started building harvesters to kind of get rid of all that labor. Mm. So they go through and uh, pick up several rows of potatoes, and they put them straight in the truck. Mm. So It was like a screen, so like a membrane it's, that it's could... kind of like a screen. If you would think about uh, rods um, that are hooked together with a gap in them of about a half inch, mm. this blade goes under the potatoes. They're in about 10 inches, 10, 12 inches. The blade goes under, and then these bars come up and spin around, mm. and and it shakes the potatoes in the dirt, and we try to sift the dirt out and run the potatoes up the conveyors. So as, you, as soon as you say the word shake, that means vibration, which Correct. that means things are going to rattle, and that means things are going to break. Exactly. And we're running this through the dirt, and the dirt is very abrasive. So I'm constantly rebuilding, hard-facing, to try to make these blades that go in the ground last longer. Do you ever consider making it out of titanium or making it out of a different metal? Well, it still has to be cost efficient, yeah. Mm. They've developed a material called chrome alloy, Mm. and it's a molding process, and we use a lot of those, and that's pretty inexpensive to to use. Even the ground equipment, when you go back through and the potatoes are all harvested, and then we've got to come back and work the ground, they'll use those as points to to pull the dirt up and bring the hard dirt up and turn it over. So there are um, materials out there that wear very well in the ground. Have you ever met a designer, a person who designs the farm equipment that to make the better mousetrap, or is that something that you do? No, I really don't. I just, I'm more into the repairs mm-hmm. and the fixing ends and when they break. I deal with a company called Double L. They're mm-hmm. a manufacturer in Idaho, and they manufacture the the potato equipment, harvesters, planters, pilers. Does a potato from Idaho taste different than a potato from Bakersfield? 
I don't know. <laughs> because I, I imagine the soil must have some kind of influence on what the same fruit or vegetable is, depending on the soil. You know, these crazy wine people, they're, you know, they're robust but surprisingly tart. You know, when they sip wine, oh, yeah. they make you feel like an idiot. They, where they tell you, this, fruit, this is a fruitiness. This tastes like mandarin orange. Meantime, it's a wine. But I guess maybe the soil that you're growing it in influences the ultimate taste of what it is that you're eating. I, I would think so. I mean, I've mm. tasted potatoes from all over the place, and um, the one nice thing about the Bakersfield area or the San Joaquin Valley is we have what we call an early potato. That's why they grow them here. Mm. Idaho's uh, stores all their potatoes. They're, they're done running them in September, and they're all stored. Mm. So in the wintertime, they don't grow anything, but we still do. We've got, got potatoes coming off pretty much year-round. Wow. So. What's your favorite thing to do with a potato? Fry it? Um, actually, uh, the In-N-Out fries are very good. <laughs> I know a company that supplies potatoes to them. <laughs> so, You know what's funny? I'm an orthopedic surgeon, Terry Glass. Yes. When I watch a basketball game or a football game, I just can't help. You know, everybody's talking about Aaron Rodgers now. All I'm thinking about is clavicle fracture, his ACL. I like, I see the game and the players completely different than everyone else because I think of all the injuries that they've had, right? Yeah. yeah yep. I would love to go to an In-N-Out burger with you and sit down and take a bite out of my cheeseburger and the french fries. You, like me, are looking at, wow, this is the kind of potato that they made. This is where the lettuce mm -hmm. comes from. This is why you, like, you look at it completely differently. I really do. Even when you go to places like, you go to Magic Mountain, you're riding on the roller coaster. Here I'm staring at the gearbox on the side <laughs> and the chain that's, that's pulling you up there thinking, oh, we could sell them chain. We sell that. <laughs> you know, how does this thing work? Look at the rollers underneath it. So I have so, two questions for you. Yes. What's the most common thing that you have to fix that breaks? Um, and what's the most enjoyable project of fixing for you? Um, right now, I'm just pretty much administrating everything, but we do a lot of repairs, like I said, to the wearing, uh, the wear parts of a harvester, like the blade that goes in the ground. So we've got to cut it, rebuild it, put hard face back on it to make it last. So, mm. um, I, I, but I've, I'm always able to help my guys, the guys that are working on gearboxes and stuff, if mm -hmm. they get stuck, I can... Uh, help them get them rebuilt and show them how to put them back together and stuff like that. And how old are you, Terry? I'm 66. Are you going to retire? That's what I hired David Rosen for. Ah! <laughs> and this guy is amazing. Isn't he? He is. He's good with my employees. i got about 11 employees, and he is hot to sell. I tell you, he's got ideas every day. It's driving me crazy. What I love he's about him, though, me out. is he's, he's <laughs> extremely kind and he's yes. extremely honorable and he's a man of his word and as a longtime customer of a uh, customer of his you just feel like you're with a family member and i'm sure he makes all of your customers up there feel the same way he he you got you got a good one there that's for sure oh Terry. definitely i think so he's fantastic but i don't want you to retire you know what happens when you retire you get sick you need to work. Well, you need to keep that brain of yours moving. You can't just go play golf for the rest of your life. No, 
and I, I told David I'd be in a couple times a week just to keep an eye on him, which I probably won't need to. But yeah, and uh, I've got other things. I enjoy woodworking, uh, making furniture and stuff like that. So I'm always doing something. I'm a stone carver. I go to Italy oh to Michelangelo's God. quarry and I sculpt him. You should go on my website. You'll see many of the sculptures that I've made okay. in, in Michelangelo's stone. Have you ever been to Italy? Have you seen Michelangelo's work? No, I have not. All right, so that's the present I want you to give yourself is to fly and go see the David in Florence. And as a man who who understands tools and subtracting, destroying things to create something with a hammer and a chisel, you look at that sculpture that he made 500 years ago and your jaw will drop. It's amazing. You take a lump of, of yep. rock and you can yep. see what's inside yep. of it and just to carve away. Yes. If you ever could, I mean, everyone in Bakersfield ends up in Ventura. Do you ever go to Ventura? You have family my, and friends there? My sister lives in Ohio. yes. There you go. So next time you go to uh, visit her, swing by the Ventura Keys and you, I have a house there and in front you'll see some of the marble sculptures that I've made right there in front in the Ventura oh Keys. Goodness. And okay. you'll go, I spoke to Dr. Clapper. I, now I know what he's talking about. You'll get a <laughs> kick out of that. Well, I want to really thank you for joining us because you bring to the table, a literally to our potato table and everything else that yes. we eat, but the ability to fabricate and, and, and make the farmers more efficient this is a topic I, in a million years I never would have thought I'd be talking about, but thanks to David Rosen that I got a hold of you, and I really appreciate you enlightening us about a whole different world we're not aware of. Thank you so I, much, Terry. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, Thank it's been a so real much, pleasure. Doctor. All right, my pleasure. The great Terry Glass, who fabricates metal and tools for the farmers in Bakersfield. Wow. All right, Warriors, the clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what your new nickname is for me? <laughs> start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Sugar Mountain With the Barkers and the Colored Balloons You can't be 20 on Sugar Mountain Though you're thinking that you're leaving there too soon Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. The great Neil Young, one of the firsts to be a part of Farm Aid. 1985 with Willie Nelson to help the farmer. The ultimate fabrication and custom tool was raising money for FLAG, Farmer Legal Assistance Group. He's going to leave this world one day, Willie Nelson, knowing that he made the world a better place for the rest of us, not only with his career in music, 
but in creating farm aid. And same thing for Neil Young. The legacy continues. The show continues. It's fascinating. The need to custom tools. Just like Terry Glass says, he just loves making things better. Same thing for me in surgery. It's awesome to be creative and no matter what you do with your life. All right, let's take some calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Let's go to Edward. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hi, Dr. Clapper. How are you? I'm a Very good. old patient of yours and okay. the utmost believer in you, for sure, 100%. I appreciate that. Um, Thank you. I, I'm uh, 62 years of age. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at age 30. Wow. And how was I that? Had, how did that happen? Did you fall down suddenly? What was? How did this the diagnosis come about? Thank you for asking. I um, I was director of operations for a big retail store, and we were closing out the uh, closing out the store. And I worked literally sixteen hour days, twenty one days straight. Mm. And all of a sudden, my lower back started hurting me. Mm. And I had tingling and numbness on my left-hand side, and I started, my extremities on my left-hand side were weak. I started dragging them, Mm. and I had a physician at the time who was pretty sharp, and he knew something was going on. He sent me out for an MRI, and sure enough, there was white matter in the brain and diagnosed uh, with multiple sclerosis. I did have a spinal tap, but that was uh, non-conclusive. Mm. And I've been on Copaxin for the last 20 years, and I've been doing okay. Uh, I do Did anybody ever talk to you about bee stings? Have you ever heard about that? No, no. There's a, there was a crazy, and I don't know how crazy it is, but maybe it's on YouTube or you can look it up, but someone came up with an idea that bee stings, and I'm not advocating this at all, but there's something about the stinging of a bee and multiple sclerosis that somehow may have a good effect. Um, so that's why I ask. I'm not suggesting you go get stung by a bee, but I'm just wondering if you knew anything about it. In, in my life as an orthopedic surgeon, you know, I, I have like a pilot. You know, you have a routine where you got, you got to check uh, the oil, you got to check the gas. The pilot goes through their routine before they go and fly. Well, as an orthopedic surgeon... Whether you're coming to me because your ankle hurts or your elbow hurts or what, I have a routine that I do for everybody. And it's in, it begins with you sitting on the exam table and I take my reflex hammer out and I bang on your patella tendon, I bang on your Achilles tendon, and then I scrape the bottom of your foot just as, I don't know, it's part of what I do as a basic neurologic exam for patients. And sure enough, I go and do my usual routine. It's always pretty much normal, except on when it's not. And I'll never forget, I had a woman where I scraped the bottom of her foot and her toes uh, went the wrong way when I scraped the bottom of the foot. And I'm going, that's interesting. And I sent her to a neurologist and did a workup because she didn't really have any complaints like you, back pain, nothing really to worry about. But this part of the test, it's called a Babinski sign, whether your big toe goes up or down, and it was, it was the opposite direction. And I'm going, something's weird. And I diagnosed multiple sclerosis before anybody else would have even thought of it. 
So it's something that you were lucky. You really had a good doctor who was on the lookout for something unusual and bad, and uh, there you go. So you made the diagnosis. The unfortunate thing, there's not a whole lot you can do for it. You know how much I love water exercises, which is very helpful for post-polio syndrome, for multiple sclerosis, any kind of neuromuscular abnormality, the buoyancy of the water, the resistance on the muscle, the proprioception of the water touching the skin. This, to me, Edward, would be like the greatest thing for you to be making a part of your life. And if I saw you in the past as a patient, I'm sure I told you to get in the pool. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. But here is my concern, if you got a couple more minutes. Yes. Um, we know that multiple sclerosis is a debilitating disease. Yes. Uh, the neurologist that I'm seeing right now feels that it's uh, muscular-related, so on and so forth. I think, and this is just me, I think it's the demyelination uh, of the disease. It is. Now, it is. You are um, right. I have a, I, I have an MRI of the brain from a year ago, so I don't think that that's... Uh, I don't think we need to do that. I am having an MRI of the cervical spine without contrast on Monday. And I did, when I saw you, I did have this uh, MRI, and you you were gracious enough to say, hey, get in the pool, all the right. cocker, so on and so forth. <laughs> um, and then I'm just reading this report now. And it says at C5-6, there is an anterior and posterior osteo fight uh, regime. There's a two millimeter disc bulge. Mm -hmm. There's moderate bilateral non uh, convertible osteo with yes. posterior osteophytes extending into both neural. Yeah, you basically have a degenerative spine, which is unrelated to the multiple sclerosis. That's just you getting older. And it's compounded because you have multiple sclerosis, but there's no way I'm going to suggest that you have uh, spine surgery for it. You, you, the next chest move that I would suggest for you, and you can have your neurologist do this, Edward, is you should get an updated nerve conduction EMG. You should do that. because okay. Because that will actually tell you which I agree with you, by the way, that it's more of a demyelinization. And you can tell that a sophisticated nerve conduction EMG doer and reader of that study can help you prove that you are actually right. What's the treatment? You're not having shots. You're not having surgery. You're gonna, it's going to be 100 degrees every day. You're going to be having a PhD of being in the pool. Okay. Listen, I, I know you're a firm believer. I know you suggested it. And yes. uh, what else can I do? I exactly. mean, I dealt with the cards. I got to deal with it. You got to deal with it, and that's how you're going to deal with it. You're going to get wet. And, Edward, thank you for calling in. You've helped total strangers by having this conversation, and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dr. Clapper. Okay. You take care. All the best to you and your family. Thank you so much, Edward. God bless you. All right, Warriors, we'll take a break. Last segment coming up, I want to talk about Anthony Davis. And explain what the kinetic chain is. And don't forget, I got to tell you where you can get the greatest chocolate sorbet I've ever had. Coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Balloons, you can't be 20 on Sugar Mountain. Though you're thinking that you're leaving there too soon. You're leaving there too soon.
clap, man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. What's up, it's LZ. Look, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. My mother is quelling in heaven right now when you say that. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, <laughs> Renaissance man, serpent sculptor, smoother. <laughs> Gee, Lord have mercy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Little ditty about Jack and Diane. Two American kids growing up in the heartland. Jack is gonna be a football star. Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Talk about the heartland. John Cougar Mellencamp participated in that very first Farm Aid in 1985. People don't want to admit it, but his music is so catchy. It's great. I'm a big fan. Keep doing it, John Cougar, or John Cougar Mellencamp. Every year he seems to change his name, adding another one. Love it, though. All right, let's go to Will in L.A. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper. It's great talking to you. It's my pleasure, Will. What's that? I said, you are one of my heroes. Oh, now i got to adjust my headset. My head is swollen. Thank you for that. (laughs) How young are you? What do you do for a living? I'm 73, and I write music. Get out of here. You know, the last person I said that to in my office was Ray Evans. Okay? He's this older man. He comes to see me. I've been taking care of him for a while. He had a bone-on-bone knee. He was like 80-something. I said to him, so what do you do for a living? He says, same thing. First, he says to me uh, that he's retired. I said, well, before you retire, what do you do for a living? Oh, I wrote music. And I must have, like, made a face. He goes, no, Dr. Clapper, I won three Oscars. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I wrote Que Sera for Doris Day. I wrote Mona Lisa for Nat King Cole. And I wrote the Christmas song, Silver Bells. By the way, he also wrote the theme for Mr. Ed. But the, the song that made him his fortune was the theme for the TV show Bonanza. And, uh, really? Yeah. So here's this guy. You know, I'm retired. I'm a songwriter. Like, no big deal. Thank you. It's Ray Evans. So it was like talking to you, Will. God knows. What songs did you write? Uh, nothing that you would really, really know. Some R&B songs back way back in the day. I will know those R&B songs back in the day. Steve Paulette has a computer. We can bring them up. Thank you very much, Will. But anyway, I would like to talk about you and see if I can help you. And thank you for being such a fan. I appreciate it. What hurts? How can I help you? Thank you. I've got two issues. One is uh, pain in my neck. I think I have an uh, arthritic disc. Uh, mm-hmm. In my neck? Yes. At 73, uh, you're entitled to. <laughs> and uh, it's. I went to a pain management doctor. and They gave you shots and pills, uh, and I hate all that stuff. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. shots of uh, epidural yeah, in my yeah, neck. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, stay away from that. I don't that. really want to do that. Good, don't. 
So, Will, do me a I'll favor. You live in L.A. You know where you need to be? You need to be with Linda Yui at Complete Physical Therapy in Culver City. That's where you need to be because they have an indoor heated pool and Medicare will pay for it. You need to go there. All right? That's my advice. You tell that doctor of yours that Dr. Clapper says you need to be in pool exercises for your degenerative spine. It's the greatest thing, the buoyancy, the resistance, the water touching your skin, biofeedback to your brain for position sense. You're not going to be better in a week or two, but I promise you, if you bring water, the fountain of youth, Will, is in the fountain. That's where it is. You need to get in the water. It's going to be 100 degrees every day, but this is an indoor heated pool. It's critical that you get in the Linda water. Linda what? Linda Yui. H H U E Y. Complete okay. complete PT in Culver City. Just tell your doctor you want a prescription for that. All right, great. And one more thing. I've noticed that lately I've been, when I walk, I walk every day. Mm. I've been favoring my left leg. Mm. As I don't know if it's my hip or what. And uh, it, it's like I'm kind of leaning to the left for some reason. Is it and painful? Right is it painful in your groin? Are you having pain in the groin, no. pain in your knee? No. So you know no. what? I mean, I'm not going to ignore it. You need to have, obviously have a doctor check you out, but you will help whatever altacocaritis you have in your hip and your knee by getting in the pool. And if it persists, then you need an exam. But that's that's your next chess move. You need to get in the three days a week, half an hour. You need to walk forwards and backwards in a pool. You need to do that, Will. That's good. All right, That's young man. Good. And thank you for being a big fan. Tell me one song that you wrote, and I want Steve Paulette to look it up. I don't even remember. What a great song, song, Steve. It's called I Don't Even Remember. It was a big hit for Frankie Avalon. I remember that song, Will. Thanks so much for telling us. All right, have a good day, young man. It's a pleasure to talk to you. All right, Warriors, let's do some Anthony Davis. You can watch... On ABC on Sunday, as I talked to Kurt Sandoval about the connection that all of us have, not just Anthony Davis, between Achilles tendinosis, a calf strain, a hyperextended knee, then a groin injury, as you literally go up the leg where it ultimately hits the lower back because your hip flexor anchors from the front of the lumbar spine. It's all connected. Your Achilles tendon comes from your calf muscles, but that gastroc muscle originates from your thigh bone, your femur. It goes up the back of your knee. It doesn't come from your shin bone, your calf muscle. The soleus muscle does, but the gastroc muscle comes from above the knee. And that same Achilles tendon wraps around the bottom of your foot and becomes the plantar fascia. Just like you have these tendons crossing these different joints, Your hamstring muscle, the muscle that you're sitting on right now, extends your hip when you stand up, but it also flexes your knee. You got to turn on the top half of the muscle and shut off the lower half of the same muscle to get up from a chair. We call it the kinetic chain. Here's the clapper vision. Putting gas in your car, that liquid gasoline goes through the gas tank, through the front of the engine, through the carburetor, and makes an explosion in the spark plug, driving the piston through the cylinder. That explosion, moving the piston, drives the crankshaft. 
which then becomes what's known as the flywheel. The flywheel is then attached to the drive shaft, which takes it from the front of the car, because of that explosion, that drive shaft now attaches to the axle and the rear tires now roll. You move your car because of the liquid you put in the gas tank. That's a kinetic chain of events. And that's how our body works. Fascinating. Coming up next week, we're going to talk to the man who's in charge of the desert in Joshua Tree. I'm so excited to talk to him. And what are the areas of art and sports where the desert is involved? Oh, my God. I cannot wait. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about yet next week, but I'm excited. And by the way, where can you get the chocolate sorbet that changed my life this week? You can get it, and it's called Absolute Fruit. It's chocolate, but it's in an absolute fruit container. If you, if you go on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, you'll see a picture of the pint. I ate half of it, and I just took the top off. I got to see what this tastes like. I bought it. I couldn't stop eating it. I ate half the pint in a single session. It's because there are chocolate chips in the sorbet. I have yet, today I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a scoop of it with a scoop of chocolate ice cream. Sit down with a spoon and you'll need a cup of coffee and a cigarette by the time you're done eating a scoop of chocolate ice cream and this chocolate sorbet from Absolute Fruit. And you can get it at Gelson's. I don't know any other stores, but that's where I got mine. Absolute Fruit Chocolate Sorbet. Next week, we're going to talk about what we can learn from the desert. Right now, you're going to learn from Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. What are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar Sinai, head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.